Two things that are, that are on my mind. One of them is still the idea of discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus and uh, following uh, Jesus in, so closely that you can't tell the difference, imitating and obeying Jesus. How do we, what does it mean to be a disciple? We, we, we talk a lot about it Sunday morning, particularly, and that is reading and responding to the scriptures, which is essentially when Jesus equates his own words with the entirety of the text, then we are understanding that as I'm responding to this text, this whole book, I'm following Jesus. I'm obeying his words. It doesn't just have to be the red letters for me to be doing that. Everybody said amen. Okay, so... Um, so we're responding to the scripture like that, and, and I do mean it, as I, 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 don't, I don't think I said it in both services, but it was just almost offensive enough that it deserves to be repeated, and that is uh, discipleship is not about needing a nanny. Okay, you are not, you are not, you just being a, oh, I need a, I need a nanny. No, the, the, the onus of a discipleship is really on the disciple. But if you listen to the commands of Jesus, the expectations of Jesus, of course he says, follow me, come with me, but he doesn't say, follow me, and I'm gonna, I'll buy your lunch and give you, a, you can ride in my car, and I'm going to... No, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life and follow me. Let the dead bury their dead and follow me. Okay? So the idea is that if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to decide to do that. No one's going to be a disciple for you, but people will hopefully encourage you along the way, be an example to you along the way, love you all along the way. That's what being a part of the church is for. Well, so I'm thinking about discipleship and how important to me, how important to me the, uh, regularly engaging the Scripture. As a, as a young man, I say from when I was 16, but really from about 13 was when my uh, I think it doesn't matter. I'll tell you this. Uh, I think I was having nightmares about 13 years old, having nightmares. And I remember telling my dad, Dad, I'm having these nightmares. And he just said, well, uh, before you go to bed, read a chapter out of your Bible and write, write some stuff. And he basically said, write a, get a chapter. And then I, uh, so he must have told me the navigator's thing, you know, what write, what's your, what'd you read, what it meant, what you're going to do or respond to the Lord. It was basically a, a journal of sorts. Read a chapter and kind of pr- and, and, and journal a response and meditation and prayer. So I said, well, okay. And I started doing that about 13 and never stopped. 16, got someone, my, my youth pastor got me a one-year, so I switched over to that and have been journaling in response to a one-year Bible ever since then. The single greatest tool for spiritual formation in my life has been reading and responding to the Word of God in the power of the Spirit. That's it. Uh, and when I tell my students uh, that are wanting to be involved in some degree of vocational ministry, I say this is it. If you want to know how to be successful in any way in vocational ministry, open this. Joshua chapter 1. He, that's what the Lord said. Listen, Joshua, if you want to be successful, meditate on this. Don't let it depart from you. Meditate on it day and night, and you will, you will, get, you will make your way successful. You will have good success if you stick to the book. So I tell people, this is it. This is, there's nothing better. So there, there's that. The other aspect, and they're not different, because how many know that this is a spirit-breathed book? Okay. The other aspect, and then that's why I'm, I, it's a kind of a topical focus, the other aspect for me has been uh, my, the, my relationship with the Holy Spirit, and in particular, the, the opportunity to pray regularly in tongues. That has been a fundamentally important aspect of my spiritual formation and, my spirit, and, and the spiritual vibrancy of my life. So I can't, in good conscience, say, hey, you know, everybody should be a disciple, let's follow Jesus, and uh, kind of you know, give a nod to the Holy Spirit without saying to you, hey, you know what, 
this is pretty significant. I believe it's supposed to be significant, and I believe that it should be. I believe that, that our prayer language is a serious and significant aspect of spirit-filled living. If you're looking for a major, a central thesis point tonight, that's it. I'm going to explain and support that statement. There it is again, that our prayer language is a serious and significant aspect of spirit-filled living. I hope that you didn't hear the word must, absolute. There was not, a, there was not a, uh, a, an ultimatum in that statement. But to me, and in my, to my, not only to my opinion, my experience, and my reflection on the word, I think it's, it's a significant aspect of spirit-filled living. And I'm talking about, you know, tongues. And, and if, if tongues is a strange idea for you, then you, you, know, you need to know this is, this is a charismatic church. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do that kind of stuff. Okay? Uh, but we're not going to be chest-bumping, you know, cocky about it, arrogant about it, because that would be contrary to the influence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? So uh, uh, what, does it mean to re- what does it mean to lead Pentecostally? Six years. Can you do it? Okay? It doesn't well. What's, well, it's okay. He, was, he brags about getting an A. I figured he'd remember. Okay? Uh, uh, <laughs> it means to rely on the Holy Spirit, and it means to lead with, with confidence, confidence and humility. Both. They're, they complement. Okay? Absolute confidence, total humility is the lead Pentecostal. All right. So my objective tonight is, is really twofold. Number one, to persuade those who pray in the Spirit to do so more. To do so more and... Mm, and with increased expectometer. And furthermore, to persuade those who do not to maybe understand that they can and should. Is that fair enough? I could take a quick break and say, all right, if you want to run for the door, you can, but that's not why we're here. All right. <laughs> when, we talk about, when we talk about tongues, I do not believe, and I want, and if, is Chuck here tonight? Chuck and Bonnie? Anybody I want to get, want to get my dad here? You are okay. Don't call the don't call the network. Uh, uh, the, the assemblies of God position is that the that the that the that tongues are the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that's not an incorrect statement. If you let those each of those words mean what they mean, initial meaning beginning, just just the first part, just the just the beginning, physical meaning something that is able to be heard or seen or measured or. Or, or audibly, I can see something. I can, I can hear it. I can see it. Something's happening there, okay, physical. And the initial physical, and then the word evidence. And that's where I go, because um, I, I don't, evidence, it, it just means um, what it means. It's the, the, the initial physical sign is what they mean. But uh, when, they, when, the, when we use the word evidence, it, it, it creates a problem, sort of, psychologically for the hearer. And, and, and for the practitioner, it, create, it can be problematic. For the hearer, when we say tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what normally what people who do not pray in tongues hear is, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't know him, you don't have him, you are, there is the haves and then the have-nots. And the only way you can know, the only evidence, you've got to show, you got to, papers please, you know, like we're Gestapo's. Papers, please. And, uh, you know, you've got you to prove that you have to prove that you have any communion, any connection with the Spirit by speaking in tongues. And if you don't, then you don't. I don't care for that. 
I don't think we have good Bible for that. I think we have good Bible for can and should, and there's a lot. I'll get to it. I'll offend you the other way in a minute. Uh, uh, We have a lot of good Bible for it. I'm a glossolaliac on steroids, okay? But I don't think that we can say to people, if you're not a glossolaliac, glossolalia is the Greek word for tongues, and glossolaliac would mean the speaker in tongues. So if you're not a gloss, I I don't have Bible to say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you you don't even know the Holy Spirit, because people do. People do. And, and, and well, if you don't speak tongues, you don't have any power. I can't say that either because people do that too. People have done that. You know, uh, uh, Charles Parham, before, he, before he, they, they started the Topeka uh, uh, Bible, Bible School, he was, a, he was actually a healing evangelist. So people were getting saved and healed in his meetings before he started speaking in tongues. Now, to a person, historically, you have to put it on the other side, though, is that every person who had any kind of experience or powerful ministry, once they said, yeah, I see that there's another experience here, and they began to open themselves up to the person who worked in the Spirit, they still called it the baptism in the Spirit because they equated baptism with tongue speaking. So once they, they exposed themselves to what was called the, the Spirit baptism, even though they might have already been fully endued, once they ex, ex, exposed themselves and yielded to that experience and they began to pray in tongues to a person, they would all say that their entire life and ministry transformed for the greater. So what are you going to do with that? Well, they already were doing stuff, but then they have this, so they, they experience more so that there is more. Well, what if we just said, hey, no matter what, there's more? Right. <laughs> what if we never what if there was no ceiling? What if God just met it every time we said, Well, I, maybe there's more than what I've experienced? Heaven said, Yes. <laughs> what if? Okay? So I, don't like, and the, they, so I don't like evidence because what it does is it makes people kind of artificially here have and have not. And then the have nots go, well, I do too. And then we're in a fight and, and then we have grief and nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to feel like where there's varsity and junior varsity in the room. There's no Bible for that either, right? Okay. Um, so then the other reason I don't like the word evidence is because on, I, I had this last time with me. I, had this, I got this certificate in the mail. A few, uh, few months ago. Actually, I, actually, the certificate arrived at the church where I served in 1992. The university sent me a certificate that I was a certified online instructor, which means they evaluated three successive online uh, correspondences that I had with my... They, three, three, they, they, they evaluated three of my online classes and said, look at this guy, he's swell. And so they now I'm a certified certifiable i'm a certified <laughs> online like i'm like a like a like a like a certified used lexus you know you get the used one or the certified one so anyway i got this certification but it was so important <laughs> i'm such a big deal and it was so important to the university to get me that certificate that they mailed it to the church that i worked at in 1992 <laughs> i haven't been to that church since william jefferson clinton was president and they mailed it to them. And the pastor there said, I think I got something in the mail that belongs to you. How did Northwest even have that address? I have no idea. So, they, so what I'm saying is, big deal, certificate. But the, but the certificate is evidence. What do you do with certificates? Sometimes you put them on a wall. Sometimes you stick them in a file. Right? But that's basically what you do. And unless they're really expensive, like the ones you paid thousands of dollars for, you're lucky if it gets into a file. I can't find the current one that says I'm a certified whatever I am. 
I was thinking about it tonight. I thought, where did I put that thing? So that's, that's the deal with calling something evidence. Where do they, what do they do with evidence? Who do they need law firm? Anybody law buddy? Anybody? No, 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 not file. Well, I'm looking for better, something better than that. They lock it up. They lock it up and put it away. Do they use it a lot? No, pretty much they use it just the one time. Ergo, my problem with the word evidence. It's used once, it's proved a point, and then it's stuck in the locker. It's not evidence. I like the word assurance. Because assurance is something that gives me confidence for more. It gives me confidence to be and to do and to anticipate. So I like the word assurance, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I don't like, I don't, I don't like to say that tongues are evidence, although if you pressed me, I would say I believe biblically what we see is that tongues consistently are presented as an initial physical sign that someone has, ex- has had an ex- this experience with the Spirit. That, that I can't argue against and I would argue for. I also don't, tongues are not, uh, for some people think, tongues are not an ecstatic, necessarily an ecstatic experience. Ecstatic, like, ex, like it, yes, it, not like ecstasy, but ex, the ex, an ecstatic experience is that is an experience which comes upon a person, and again, I know some of you are already thinking, <laughs> I don't know if you're right about that, uh, that it's not, tongues are not normally, in a normative way, ecstatic, meaning you, you don't, you're not just minding your own business and suddenly a supernatural uh, 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 power comes upon you. Your eyes roll back in the back of your head and you begin to utter some weird speech that sounds like ancient Egyptian. And then in a moment you, you snap out of it and go, whoa, what was that? Okay, that's ecstatic. Unfortunately, though, that is a common impression or understanding of tongues of speech is that it is an ecstatic expression, like someone has fallen into some weird trance and that they now have their eyes roll back in their head, potentially their head spins around, and they have this weird experience. Now, you think, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm sitting in a Master of Divinity theology class, and people are down the way, and they're talking about spiritual gifts, and my my colleagues, well, the guy next to me is is talking about all that Pentecostal junk and about how it's of the devil. I don't say a word because I didn't talk for two years in in, in my class. But then the guy down the way says, they're talking about what's tongues, and and the guy says, it's ecstatic. Ecstatic speech. And that rung a bell because I went to Foundations for Faith when I was in sixth grade in, in, in my Assembly of God's uh, church. And I said, no, it's volitional. And they said, what's that mean? <laughs> I thought, ha, 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 I will multisyllabic you. <laughs> Tongues are not ecstatic. You are not, you are not, come, you don't necessarily, I got to put, I got to put an asterisk on there because the Holy Spirit's really big and really awesome and he's God and he's Lord of the cosmos and he can do amazing things and sometimes things, weird things happen because he's God. But that's, but setting that aside as normative, tongues are not ecstatic. It's not some weird power that comes on you. Your eyes don't roll back in the head. You don't, you're not going to wait and, and, and there's nothing to be afraid of. You're not going to get kidnapped by aliens. It's, it's not a, it's not like that. It's volitional, meaning I choose and here's what's, why that's so important is because what, God, what is God really after? He's after your will. And the, one, of the most ex, the, one of the senior expressions of your will is your mouth. And when you voluntarily submit your will and your speech to the influence of the Holy Spirit, 
it should be a significantly spiritually forming experience. If the experience is entirely ecstatic and you are just I'm just some weird funnel for a divine alien, then how, then how is that spiritually forming? How is that relational? It's not. It's just just as weird as people think it is. That's why that's it's no different than being, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, being carried away unto dumb idols. He, he, he actually com- contrasted the influence of the Spirit, which is volitional, sanctifying, relational, against being carried away unto dumb idols, meaning, meaning being caught up in demo- under demonic power. They're different. I had you for a while, then you all left me. They're different. Not ecstatic, but volitional. Everybody say Volitional. Means I, I exercise my will. No, you're not making up the words. We'll talk about that. But, but tongue speech is volitional. I am intentionally surrendering my will and my mouth to the, to the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. Uh, here's a, here's a, a more humorous one. Um, tongues are not just a charismatic kiai. Now, we say, what's a kiai? Anybody do martial arts or MMA or whatever? What's Bruce Lee do when he punches somebody? Yeah, that's a key eye. A key eye is an expression that adds a little emphasis to the thrust there. Hi-ya! You know, if I'm going to punch you real hard, I'm going to hi-ya! Tongues are, but people in, in some charismatic circles, they use tongues as sort of a charismatic key eye. Like just at the end of a prayer or after the end of a song, they'll just shout something in tongues like it's a key eye. Hi-ya! And, it's, and they just, it just becomes a cultural expression. Something that you do as a matter of church culture, just a shout. It doesn't have substance or meaning to it. Again, it is, it's not coming from the will, from the affections, from a, from a connection with God. So it's not just a key eye. It's not just, a, a, just something to shout. Nor is it something that occurs at select, mom, uh, at, at select moments of special spirituality. Some of my students, as they're writing about, they'll, they'll write about this stuff. And in I, their papers, they'll say... Uh, you know, that tongues happen, uh, um, that's a re- it's a result of spiritual maturity. Like if you get really, really, really close to the Lord or something. Uh, everybody just say no. Just say it again, no. Tongues are not a sign of maturity, nor are they a reward for maturity. <laughs> they aren't, they don't make you, they don't, they're not an indicator of your spirituality, of your spirituality. They're a confirmation well, of Christ, because it's all a response to what he's done. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to you because you are good. He comes to make you good. He doesn't come because you're holy. He comes to make you holy. He comes to have an effect on you. He is not a reward for your good behavior. He is a response to Christ's perfect behavior. So tongues are not an indication of your maturity. Hopefully they will help you on your path toward maturity. They and we'll talk about how that happens and why it should. But they are not a reward for the mature. Oh, they speak in, ooh. Well, they speak in tongues. Wow. Everybody in the book, in the, everybody in the Bible who began speaking in tongues, everybody who began had almost no knowledge, no, no discipleship type relationship. It happened to them at the beginning of their discipleship path. 
The furthest people along were the people that didn't quite know the whole story in Acts 19. There we have disciples of Jesus, so they didn't quite, they weren't quite filled in, uh, but, and they, they, they were, because Luke calls them disciples, we'll talk about that. But they, then Paul ministers to them, and they have breakthrough. breakthrough. But in Acts chapter 2, and the, the, no, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, and they didn't have any, they didn't attend the Pentecostal, you know, school for three years, and then finally as a graduation award, get tongues. It, that was they, they, they just get they, the Holy Spirit came and they spoke that we can argue the same thing happens to Samaritans and we know for certain that it happens to Gentiles and at the household of Cornelius they just they just hear oh Jesus crucified raised judge forgiveness of sins and he's coming oh he's coming to judge everybody great and then boom Holy Spirit falls upon them and they begin to express themselves in other tongues it is not a sign of maturity. It does not a reward for maturity. It's not an indication of your spirituality. But it is a significant part for me of spirit-filled living. For me, I observe, and I used to feel bad trying to cite my own observation, but since I'm 49 and have been in church now for 50 years, I feel slightly confident in citing my observations. It appears to me that people oftentimes uh, will pray in tongues or speak in tongues, but I, I don't know that folks believe, believe or embrace, or uh, they, either they don't know or they don't believe in the power and the benefit that the Scripture presents with regard to speaking in tongues. Like I know Pentecostal people who, who, who can, but when you ask them, well, how's your prayer life? Do you, do you, I'll ask them, well, do you, do, you, do you spend time? Do you pray in the Spirit? And they say, well. And that's about it. Well, you know, like, and for instance, they, they will maybe after their favorite song. Come on, you know it's true. Oh, that's a, they get happy about a favorite song, so they'll, so they'll, They'll give a, a 10-second uh, utterance in other tongues because they're happy for a minute. Or maybe, honestly, or when they're really frustrated in the car. <laughs> yeah, just for just different reasons. But, I'll, but now, I, there's going to be a handful of you in the room that what I'm saying makes it has no connection because you just can't, you, 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 it's a part of your life, and I get that. But we, I, I just want us to know that when we're talking statistically across the board, charismatic Pentecostals, the, the, just because someone can doesn't mean that they do. You may own a Bible, that doesn't mean you read it. You may believe the Bible, that doesn't mean you read it and respond to it. And people that have experienced uh, this, this, this encounter with the Spirit that has produced this charism, C-H, charism, this charismatic expression, they can, but they kind of treat it like it's the evidence locker. And unfortunately, I believe they forfeit something that is quite precious and profound. We said this morning, uh, verse 13, uh, 8.13, Jesus said to the centurion, as you have believed, it will be. He attached in that time his experience with his faith. And the same is true for a great deal of our Christian life. The, 
elsewhere in the scripture, um, the, there's, there, uh, the, the epistles, the, the, the apostle it rebukes people who, 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 uh, who received the word but didn't, quote, did not mix it with faith, therefore it didn't produce result. So we can do things, even spiritual things, and not do them in faith with informed expectation and then, and, and then forfeit benefit. Empty-minded routine doesn't necessarily benefit us. I, no, it's, honestly, I mean, I don't want to press this too far because people might get kind of uncomfortable. But if I, I can pray in tongues, I don't know if this is totally true, but let's just say, I can pray in tongues and not, be, and not practice a confidence in the value, not practice an awareness of the Spirit, not believe that He's present, believe that He is working, and, be, and do so diligently. And I can, I, there, there's an aspect where I'm forfeiting some of the benefit in the same way as James says, it's actually possible to read the Word, close the book, forget what you read, and not benefit. Now, I know we're tempted not to believe that because we want to believe that, that every word is a seed and that it's powerful and it produces life, and I think that's true. But I also think it's, it's imperative that as folks who, who are charismatic, who, who want to practice your prayer language, that you bring with you an expectation, an informed biblical expectation that this is something and it should be significant. And the more we believe in its significance, the more I believe people will engage it and not be suspect. Because when you treat it like it's insignificant, people say, well, all that is, all that is, is a train whistle. You know, they'll, 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 they're gibberish. They'll, they speak dismissively, especially when people practice it uh, without reverence and confidence. We okay? All right. So far, so good. Nobody's leaving yet. You know, don't get mad. I don't even know if you could possibly, I couldn't be more of a fan of, of praying in the Spirit. I don't know how I'm standing right now. But let me, so all that being said, let me just say here, here's four reasons, four reasons why I think it is healthy, it is significant for us to uh, pray in the Spirit, for us to uh, exercise glossolalia, for us to use our prayer language. Can I say prayer language? I have, I have for many years not wanted to because I, it's, for me it's more than that. But the more I thought about it, and I had to confess to my wife who likes that phrase, that I thought, well, it is prayer because we're, we'll see he that speaks. I'm, sometimes my King James comes out. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. So that's prayer. So it's prayer. And glossolalia means language. So it's a prayer language, or at least it gets fair to say it's a. It's more than that, but but it's a prayer language. Plus, it helps people feel much more comfortable calling it a prayer language. Oh, a prayer language—that's something that I should do and something that I should use. If I say tongues again, all they think of is eyes rolled back, you know. But because that that has a different con. Oh, tongues! I mean, everybody thinks tongues is weird, but prayer language sounds something like it's useful, and it is. Prayer language sounds warm and relational and useful and beneficial, and I should do that. Amen. So I lose. <laughs> Mrs. Dab wins. So the first reason that I value and practice a prayer language is, like I said earlier, assurance. Reason number one, assurance. Would you all say assurance? Assurance. It, and again, I like assurance more than I like the word evidence. It gives me assurance, and here's, I'll give you what it assures me of, and then I'll support why. It gives me assurance... When I pray 
in tongues, it, it gives me the assurance that I have experienced and have relationship with the same Holy Ghost that's in the Bible. Now, again, can you, is it possible for you to say, well, could you not speak in tongues and, and have that confidence? I'm certain you can. And I'm certain it's probably possible. I, won't, I couldn't venture to speak for everybody else, but I'm talking about ego I me here. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, sorry, that was kind of blasphemous, Rob. Uh, uh, but I'm talking about me right here. My, my confidence, my assurance is I know that when I, when I pray in, in tongues, it gives me the assurance that I, that I am in relationship with and I am relying upon. I am I, I, praying through me is the same spirit that I read about in the Bible. The Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. And if he's this, and, and here's why that's important for me, for me to have confidence that it's this, when I have confidence that he's the same spirit, then I also can believe that if he's the same Holy Ghost, then that's the same power. Right. Same Holy Ghost, same power, same holiness, same influence. I should expect the same person, power, and results as I read about in this book. Assurance, say it out loud. Assurance means I expect the same person, the same presence, the same power, the same results as I read about here. That's what, when I pray in tongues, it gives me me that assurance. Even when my other circumstances aren't measuring up, I, I feel like I have an anchor to the apostolic beginning. I'm part of something. And I know this assurance. I know that it's supernatural. It is a miracle. Do you think about that? Wait, what do you mean? It's a miracle. Yeah. Every t- if you every time you volitionally, it means you can when you choose to, every time you volitionally pray in the spirit, you surrender to the Holy to, 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 to God's spirit, to, 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 to divine influence, and out of you you decide to pray, to pray unto God in a spiritual and an unlearned language that's prompted, that's supplied to you by the Spirit. That is a miracle. And if that's and if a, if a miracle is possible. If I can pray in tongues by myself, uh, I think about it like when I was like like Sonia, like when I'm in the Philippines, and and I and I remember being before a, the crowd of just a of of a, of suffering humanity that's looking to come. They want me to pray. They want me to pray for them. They want me to do something about the their, the suffering that they're in. And I'm by myself. I'm on the other side of the world. They don't have my church around me you know I, what am i gonna do so i but when i pause in that moment and begin to pray in tongues among other things that happens it, i know this if i can pray in tongues right here in this place on the other side of the world then anything's possible that means god is here with me right now if this miracle is possible then anything's possible assurance is what i'm talking about it's a supernatural thing if that if that supernatural activity is possible right here then there isn't anything that is impossible right here same Holy Ghost, same power. Want to say it with me? Same Holy Ghost, same power. I'm telling you what, there are places in the world that, that if they knew I didn't make you say that every week, they'd be ashamed of me. Because that's what I usually say when I travel. I make people remember that over and over again, that, that, that he's the same Holy Ghost. We have the same Holy Ghost and the same power as in the Bible. And, and exercising your prayer language will cultivate that assurance. 
All right. How do I, what do you mean by assurance? How are we doing on time? Not bad. Not great. Not bad. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound. Oh, boy, I like all this stuff too much. I like this too much. I'm going to take a long time. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Say that out loud. Came from heaven. heaven. Say it again. One more time. They knew it came from heaven. They, they talked about it came from, coming from heaven. Luke says it comes from heaven. Luke writes it down to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it comes from heaven, that what we are experiencing comes from heaven. It comes from the powers of the age to come, that, that all the charismata, all the pneumatica, all the expression of the Holy Spirit, it is all an inbreaking of the age to come, of the, of, of the heavenlies. And so they hear this sound. It's a, it's, it's a signal that what they're about to experience is from heaven. Pretty cool. I won't go too far there. And they came from and, and this sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire okay, that separated and rested upon each of them. That wasn't even new to them. That they, they had read, been reading about that in the book of Enoch. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Uh, verse 4, all of them. Would you say that, please? Everybody out loud with robustly. All of them. All of them. Does anyone need the Greek for all of them? I can give it to you, but it means all and of them. It, it, it means everybody in the room. All of them were, what's the next word? Now, this is really important. I know it seems pedantic, but I'm not trying to be, I'm not being condescending. This is important. All of them were what? Okay, who is in the room? Men and women. Good. So did the men get more than the women? Did the women, (laughs) did the women, Jedi, did the women get more than the men? I'm proud of you for not being sarcastic. Yes, probably. Who else, who who is in the room? Men and women, who else? Think about, give me something. Disciples, sure. Give Give me, anybody got a name? Who? Jude? I've, no one's ever gone with Jude. Oh, Jews. Yeah. Yes. Jews. All right. Jews. Yeah. Pretty much at this time, they were all Jews. Well, I can't say Jews and Gentiles yet, but let's just say, you know, Jews. Were they all the Jews? How, who? What? Someone? What? Thank you, Chris. Peter was in the room. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Peter was in the room. Yeah. Now that you now roll call, hang on a minute. How many have heard of Peter? Okay, how many would imagine Peter is a significant uh, person in the history of the church? Right? He's significant? Okay, four people? Okay. okay. Uh, <clears throat> uh, were there people in the room that we don't even know their names? Yes. Have we ever heard from them again? No. And yet, Bob, there was a Bob. Yeah, Bar- <laughs> there was a Bob. His last name was Goldstein, but it was Bob. Uh, it's funny, thank you. Yeah, so Bob, who we've never heard of, this is important. Bob, who we've never heard of, received the same spirit and the same amount of the spirit as Peter. Nobody received more than anybody else. 
Heaven doesn't operate in those kind of measures. You will, you will search in vain for, and they received part of the Spirit. You will search in vain for, the Spirit partially came upon them. And they were uh, sprinkled with the Spirit. <laughs> the, there's only one measure in, in Acts and then the epistolary language for how much we receive, and it's full. Filled. That is... You think heaven would go out of its way for the matchless Son of God to die on the cross so that, you could, so that you could be cleansed of your sins so that you could become the temple of the Holy Spirit and then just give you a little, a little, little, little dab, a little sprinkle, a little taste, a little appetizer. No, all, say all. All, all were filled. Okay, all, had, all of them experienced the same spirit and the same measure of the spirit. All of them. How many think that sounds intriguing? Yeah. Now, um, hear me right. I know I'm, 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 this is a leading question. How many want that? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Uh, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and then staying with the tense of the verb there and began to speak in other tongues. So how many of them began to speak? All. So all who were filled began to speak in other tongues. So this is what I'm, what I'm saying is, what, what you say, oh, what do you mean by assurance? I have assurance that when I begin to speak, that I share in the same, the same beautiful principle that I read about in verse 4. I'm one of the all. I'm one of the all. I got the same Holy Ghost as Peter and Bob. As the, and, and women and men and the whole thing. Now, again, I will say this. You say, well, if I don't speak in tongues, does that mean I don't? No, I'm not saying that. I, I can't make that argument. I, I, I can't possibly say that the Lord's going to withhold his spirit from us until we exercise some charismatic, because the, the charismatic expression is not the goal. The goal is God, God has always been that, we would be, that, that God would dwell amongst us. That's why the, the tabernacle and temple motif is all about being filled. It's about co- intimate communion with the Spirit of God. And he's not going to withhold that communion because you don't wish to or don't want to or don't believe you can or should uh, have a specific charism. I can't say that. But I will say that we can and should, it's, and I will say it's supposed to be normal. And it's nothing to be afraid of, it's something to, em- to embrace and to exercise. They were all filled, they all spoke. Then, now, real quick, you say, well, is it, you know, people want to say, well, it's different or whatever. And this is where, is it when, so when I engage in this privately and publicly, let me explain, that it gives me assurance that I can do it just like this. Now, then what you hear when you, when you continue in this passage that this happened and uh, this, the significance of this continues. So they do this. They're all, they, all, they all began to speak in their tongues. And then as they're doing that, um, there could have been upwards of, uh, they say there's 120 in the upper room, but there could have been upwards of, I mean, there was 120 in the business meeting. We have no idea actually who was in the upper room. There could have been more than that or less than that. But there could have been upwards of 500. There were 500 people that were following Christ at the time. So there's a, so let's just say 100 plus were in the room praying. And uh, 
then there's a huge crowd that, that gathers below them that hears this, right? And then, um, and, they're, and they're shocked. They're perplexed. And they, say, and they say, how is it? Aren't those people Galileans? They, we, they're all from one region up there north of the, of the lake up there. They're all from Galilee. And yet we hear them in our, I'll say heart language. We all, we each, Acostas, this is important. We each, this crowd, this massive crowd of people, each person in the crowd hears the group speaking in their own native now, some folks will say, oh, what was happening is there was 100 different languages or 50 different languages being spoken from the upper room, and the crowd was able to hear or discern, oh, I, I hear a little Swahili up there, I think, you know, that they were able to discern or hear their language. That's func- functionally, that's not possible. Let's, let me explain it. Can I illustrate it real quick? Can anyone, would every, will everyone please think of either the title of or a lyric of one of your favorite songs? Real quick. No, no, I'm not asking you to say it right now. This isn't a quiz, okay? Just think of it in your head. A title of your favorite song or just a line, a lyric from it. Make sure it's in English. Everybody speak English in the room? Okay. Everybody got it? You got it? Now I'm going to count to three, and I would like you to, with some degree of robustness, express that lyric or title. Are you ready? 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 One, two, three, go. Did anybody understand anybody? <laughs> yeah, so you understood Jess. You heard one word from Jess. Let's try it again, but I want you to, as if you were experiencing a heavenly visitation, I want you to, one more time, say it. One, two, three. Stop. All I think I heard, don't. Now, here's the problem. You say, why, Dad, why are you doing that? I'm illustrating this, that you all are speaking English, and I hear English, but, and, there's, and there could be, if this is the representative of the upper room, I couldn't make out a word you were saying. It's not functionally possible that they were down there overhearing and happened to hear, oh, I think I hear a little bit of Arabic up there. Sorry, they said Arabs. Okay, I hear a little bit of Arabic up there. No. What they didn't understand is that these people were speaking in a language, and yet each person individually was hearing that supernaturally in their own ears. It was a miracle of hearing that was going on. That's what freaked them out. It wouldn't have been such a big deal of like, hey, look at that, some Galileans. They kind of know some different languages. That would have been interesting at best. What was remarkable is that it was impossible. You're hearing them in your language. You're hearing them in yours. I'm hearing them in mine, and yet none of them are talking to us. There is a significant difference because a lot of people will say, see, now, originally, tongue speech was uh, in, in, in designed to communicate to the world. And even in the upper room, they spoke known languages to the people below them. No, they didn't. The people in the upper room had no idea anyone was listening to them. They were not talking to anybody else. They were, they were caught up in an experience of the Spirit, and they were talking to God together and it wasn't until there was a commotion that they like once again peter said oh oh there people are people are listening i better explain this because they began to to mock them and say they're full of new wine and when peter explains it he says no this is that which was spoken by the prophet joel this is that that god says in the last days i will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters men and women your sons and your daughters your your male and female even on my maid servants and my men servants all of them i will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy prophesy i thought they were speaking in tongues what do not 
wait, Paul will make a distinction in the direction of the speech later. But right now, any spirit, the, 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 the broad umbrella, any spirit-inspired utterance is prophetic. This is a prof- that's why I, in the past, have wanted to call this a prophetic language. It is a language of the spirit, but, I'm, but I am speaking unto God. But Peter recognizes this expression as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Then he says that he says, he talks about that this is a result specifically of Christ dying, being raised again, and and ascending, his ascension to the heavenlies, and that having ascended, he received the promise of the Spirit, and he, here my King James, and he hath poured this out, poured out what you now see and hear. Meaning that the, peop- that the experience of Pentecost, what were they seeing and hearing at the time? They were seeing and hearing people respond to the Spirit in a spiritual language. And he said, therefore, because you, of what you're seeing, therefore know for certain that God has made this Jesus Lord in Christ. Assurance, say it again, assurance. We're still on this. It's a big deal. It gives me assurance that I'm, I'm, in, I'm having the same experience for them. But for them, it was, it was assurance of divine reality. It was assurance that Jesus Christ had made it and had poured out the prize. Look at the text. It's right there. I don't, if we went through exegetically line by line, we'd be here a very long time, and I've got three more points tonight. I want to also just say this one more thing. Oftentimes at Heritage, we will encourage people to just worship the Lord and to, 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 to pray or to sing in the Spirit or with the understanding, and we do so corporately. That's a, rel- a relatively new-ish thing for me because I grew up classical Pentecostal, and there are rules. There are rules as a classical Pentecostal. You know what they are? Here's the deal. You can, uh, tongues has to be really loud and frightening. It can only be, it can, it can only be, and it, it was frightening, but we were, it, it frightened us good, right? I mean, it might have scared us, but it scared us straight up. Like, well, God's talking, better stop passing notes and pay attention, right? I mean, it was a good scared, right? And uh, so, and, and further, and it was, a, it was a person who would give a message in tongues, and then, the only, and that was only allowed if there were an interpretation. And it was so stringent that, and, and the idea, oh, oh, it has to be interpretation, that, and you feel this, that it became, we'll get to this later a little bit, but it be, the idea was tongues was somehow suspect. Oh, you better be careful with tongues. You got, there has to be an interpretation. Otherwise, ooh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. So it had, it, the tongues could, had to be loud, had to be a single person speaking, and there had to be an interpretation, and of course, it could only be three of them. Because uh, that's what Paul said, two are the most three. Now, the reason why he said two are the most three is because he's basically saying, look, if the Lord hasn't made it clear in three, then, <laughs> then he, he's capable of making himself clear. He doesn't need 14 different people to give a message okay, uh, about the same thing. So, but that is the Corinthian correspondence and the Corinthian situation, which I will keep visiting all night. But that was because the Corinthians, if you read, if you read Corinth, the, the first epistle there that we have to the Corinthian church, Paul specifically says things like this. If I come to you speaking in tongues, meaning, and then the, he says later, he said, I would rather, uh, I would rather speak a, a, a few words in a known, in a known you know, uh, what you, in a language you know, than 10,000 words. He's talking about instruction. The problem was the Corinthians were literally talking to each other 
in tongues because it was spiritual. So imagine me getting up tonight and just beginning to speak in tongues for an hour, just talking at you in tongues. You might go, ooh, boy, that's very spiritual. Ooh, I kind of just feel that. I kind of just feel that. Right? Ooh. And some of you might even get a little bit blessed, but nobody would learn anything. What did Dev talk about tonight? Oh, I have no idea, but it was good. It was good. You might, you might say that anyway, but uh, uh, you'd have no idea. Paul says, stop doing that. Stop talking to each other. I'm not, he, refi- he said, I would never come and try to teach you something in tongues. But if you're going to speak to each other, this, and that's why it's, very, it's only in Corinth that we even have this whole idea about interpretations. He said, if you're going to do that, make sure there's an interpreter. Then it's good. But in Acts, in, the, in Acts 2, all, in fact, all through Acts, when, when people ex- give expression in tongues in Acts, it's always prayer and praise. It is always God word. They're just worshiping. And no one ever interprets a darn thing in Acts. But lots of people speak in tongues. But they're not talking to each other. It's God word. They're, they're extras. And the first time I really even dawned on me that this was a, I, I mean, I, I, once again, you have to allow that sometimes experience precedes understanding and even helps you see something. Yes, experience can help us even exegete. Because I, I, I wouldn't have paid attention to, the dy- to those dynamics in chapter two had I not began to regularly visit Russian Pentecostal churches. Regularly visit, they rented from us. So Sunday afternoon, I'd be in my office studying for Sunday night service. The, the Russian Pentecostals were meeting, and I would hear them singing in Russian and praying in Russian, and then all of a sudden, everything changed. And I knew that what I was hearing, that wasn't Slavic. So I get out of my office, and I go in there, and there's, and there's 200 of them, and they're all praying in the Spirit together, lifting their hands, and they're worshiping. So I laid down on the floor and joined them. I just joined them. And then I asked the pastor later, I said, do you guys all pray in tongues? He said, well, yeah, we do. We're talking to God. I said, don't you interpret? I mean, he, he just said, well, Tim, it was a matter of course. And that's why sometimes contextual theology is so helpful we, to, to read the Bible from different cultures. We see something maybe we didn't see before. But I began to see, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> it seems obvious to me now that that corporate expression uh, in worship is different, way different than the Corinthian problem. Assurance. So one more time, say Assurance. And then it be, and it, this expression continued to be assurance throughout the book of Acts. I know some of you are worried that I'm never going to let you out here tonight. It's okay. I promise I won't go much longer. This is just kind of the foundation part. Throughout the book of Acts, when, whenever there, it, it began, there was the aha moment. This is usually when I will make people overseas yell aha at me. Everybody just say aha. It was the aha, aha. Uh, and and, and Acts, chap- now, Acts chapter 8, for a lot of people say, well, we're not sure about that. But Acts chapter 8, Peter goes to, I'll go quickly now. Peter goes to Samaria, has a, ma- a Peter. Philip goes to Samaria, has a powerful revival. The, there are la- the lame walk. There are people that, that, that are delivered. Demons are cast out of people. It's powerful. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people that are baptized in water. How many think that's pretty good church? Right? There, I mean, uh, there, there are miracles, there's, there's exorcism and water baptism. And so then the, uh, the church in Jerusalem hears that Samaria has received the gospel, so they send Peter and John to Samaria to find out what goes on. And then the, the text just says this. When they got to Samaria, they, this is a paraphrase, they got there and they essentially immediately uh, prayed for the Samaritan believers. They laid hands on them and prayed for them because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. 
So even though they had experienced miracles, exorcism, and water baptism, there was more. Was there anything wrong with Samaria? No. There was something more. And then when they did that, Simon the sorcerer, who had repented and been water baptized, he saw exorcism, he saw miracles, he saw all the other stuff, but, but then when Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans, he saw something else, and what he saw was so significant to him that he said, I want to buy that. That's important. He saw something significant. He didn't just see something inferred or implied, and it wasn't just an understood experience. He saw something happen and a result that came from them praying with him. And if we're going to follow exegetical principles from a text, then we should just let the author, we should assume that the author implies what he's already said. So as a classical Pentecostal, I believe what I'm seeing there is Peter and John pray, they lay hands on them, and these Samaritan believers engage in charismatic expression, especially tongues, That's brand new. That's never been seen before, just like it was in the book of Acts. This is new. We've seen the Old Testament. We see all kinds of miracles. But whatever God is doing with this expression in other tongues, it's a new thing. And it's a good thing. It does, again, not the best thing. Doesn't make you mature. It's not a reward for you. But it's very powerful. It's very significant. And, and, And Simon says, that's whatever's going on. I want to buy that. But it's so special that Peter says, you and your money go to hell. That's not a paraphrase. That's actually what he said. You can't buy this. It's already been purchased. Someone else paid for this. It's a gift. I know none of your Bibles say you and your money go to hell, but my Baptist professor said that's what he said. And then he smiled because he got to say hell in class. Dr. Kaikendall, what a guy. Uh, so Acts chapter 2, so that was an aha moment for them. But the, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He goes through the explanation. He explains Pentecost. He explains Christ's death and resurrection and judgment. And then the, the Bible says that as he is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And when the Holy Spirit falls on them, that Cornelius and his household, they begin to speak in tongues. And then the Jewish believers with him, the circumcised, with Peter say, hey, wait a minute. Who are we? Who are we? These guys need to get baptized in water. They're clearly a part of the church because they have received the Spirit the same way we have. Same Holy Ghost. They said they heard tongues and they said, aha. Same Holy Ghost. Again, I want to make it clear. Tongues isn't the Holy Spirit. That's not, he's not, that tongues aren't the goal. But as far as the assurance of this. Is it possible to experience them? Yes, yes, yes. I've already made all that clear. You don't, nobody needs a fuss. But now we see in the text, when they heard them speaking in tongues, they said, aha, same Holy Ghost. Say it out loud with me. Aha, same Holy Ghost. And it was so significant that they said that. And then Acts chapter 11, Peter gets, Peter gets yanked back to Jerusalem. Sure, right, like he's the Pope. He gets pulled back. He gets yanked back to Jerusalem. And James and the elders are like, hey, what's up? Well, you went to a Gentile's house, bro. And he said, yeah, I did. But you'll never guess what happened when I did. They were fine. They, they weren't, he said, I, they, Peter, they, Cornelius saw an angel. Fine. I had a vision. Fine. They spoke in tongues. Oh, really? That's what happened. He said, we, they began, he said, as soon as I began to speak the word, he, he actually said, as soon as I, or as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they received, they, they expressed the spirit the same way we did. And that was sufficient for the church in Jerusalem. Aha, they said, same Holy Ghost. 
In Acts chapter 15, in the debate about when the Jerusalem council about circumcision and, and whether the Gentiles needed to follow all the laws of Moses and everything else, what do you think Peter does when it's his turn to present an argument? Look it up, Acts 15, once again, he says, hey guys, uh, you remember uh, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit the same way we did. He refers again back to the aha. Assurance, one more time, say Assurance. When I say assurance, it's a big deal. And we could keep going. Look at that. You can consider Acts chapter 19. Golly, I should break this down into four different weeks. Uh, 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 when it, uh, when it's, that in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to, to, to Ephesus, and there are, are disciples there. And Luke only uses the word disciple to refer to people who are, who are believers. Believers, disciples, he uses those interchangeably. He only uses them in reference to people that are, are following Christ. And irrespective of, of, of all that happens there, uh, Paul, and he shows up to the two and finds them, the first thing he asks them is this question. And here's the rhythm. Having believed, did you receive? Okay, that's the, there's the, the participle there is having believed. It's, it's a, so the participle happens before the main verb. Having believed, believe first, did you receive? And so that's why your King James said, uh, did you receive after you believed? Some say, did you receive when? But it's not a concurrent verb thing. It's, it's a, the participle, the way it's organized is having believed first, did you receive? The question itself suggests that it's possible to believe and not. That there, that there can be more after this believing. And they say, well, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Ghost, and so he explains, and they go after it. The bottom line is that he lays hands on them, and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy, and then after that, Paul doesn't ask anymore. That settles his curiosity. He doesn't say, well, I'm not too sure. He, no, they, they began to have charismatic expression, and he says, aha, same Holy Ghost. Someone say Assurance. Again, assurance, not maturity, not perfection, not superstar, not celebrity. Assurance. Well, you wouldn't have come back to church if you didn't want to talk about this. So we're going to spend a couple more minutes. A couple more minutes. You ready? I have three more points. They're all much more brief. What's the first one? Why, did, why is it important that I pray and that I use my prayer language? Because of assurance. And, I hear, and it's, assurance is rooted in, I'm seeing, ah, same Holy Ghost. Same Holy Ghost. It was their assurance, I, and I have the same expectation. The second reason is assistance. Everybody say assistance. Assistance. If you look at um, uh, Romans chapter 8, and then we're gonna, we'll be careful with this. I want to be very thorough. And I don't, I don't want to, I'm kind of being kidding around, but I don't apologize for being thorough because it's important. Romans chapter 8 is that Paul's talking about life in the Spirit and, and, uh, our, and, and all the great things that are accomplished in our life because of the Spirit that we have received, that we're walking in the Spirit, we're living by the Spirit, that the Spirit is the source and the supply of our Christian life. Everybody said amen. Okay, you got to read that. That's the whole thing. This is how we're, that's how we're living. Then he says, in the same way, um, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Someone say assistance. The Spirit helps us. How? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
He's saying here, the Spirit prays through us. We don't know how to wait, but the Spirit prays. Someone say the Spirit prays. The Spirit prays. Now, there are those who say, oh, he's not talking about tongues. He's talking about something else. Just groaning. Mm. That would be tangential, unique, and difficult to prove. By tangential, we mean something that, was a, something that takes off goes this way. They're introducing a, a totally foreign concept to the Scripture. We cannot suggest that Paul is going to introduce something totally foreign. What we want to, we want, we want to do is say, wait a minute, what, when Paul's talking about prayer, praying in the Spirit or Spirit prayer, what, 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 how, is there anywhere else that we can ask Paul what he means by that? Hmm. Uh, how about this? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Does that sound like what he was Yes, it does. And, verse, and then go down to verse 15 of, of chapter 14. Uh, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my understanding. 1 Corinthians 14 shows us that, there's, that Paul makes a distinction. When Paul talks about the spirit praying or praying with the spirit, and wordless groans and mysteries, he's talking about tongues. If you say otherwise, you're introducing some sort of like third or fourth rail tangentially, and the burden is on you to prove that that even exists. But if we're going to stick with the text, when Paul's saying, when he talks about spiritual language and spiritual utterance and mysteries, wordless groans, things that I don't understand, he's talking about praying in tongues. So we, I come to Romans 8.26, and I see, aha, when I pray in tongues, not only is I, I can see that, I see, I, see in, I see in Acts that it's an expression of worship. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. That's why so I, I, I'm worshiping in the Spirit. But I also can see that, that, that Paul understood that as, he, that as he prays in tongues as a prayer language, the Holy Spirit is praying through him and for him according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying. How many trust the Holy Spirit to pray better than you? <laughs> How many would like His help to pray? No, no, no. Let me ask you a different question. How many need His help to pray? How many are desperate for Him to help you pray? I am 100%. This is why I have an app on my phone. I don't, I'm not kidding around. I have a, it, it says, before I go to Ghana, I, there was, again, you can read it. There's 30 hours I'll spend praying in the Spirit because I need His help. I got to go to another place and creating all kinds of weird, you know, demons and expectations and stuff and unexpected stuff. And I got people that are traveling with me. I need God to help me. I want the Holy Spirit to help me pray. I got to be a husband, a father, a pastor, a teacher, or this and or that, and a friend. I got to be some good to anybody. And I know who I am. I don't got much. I got one or two tricks. That's it. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. I got things in front of me. How many have responsibilities? How many have expectations? How many have opportunities? How many have crises? How many have needs? How many want the Holy Spirit to help them? Pray in the Spirit. I, why do I pray in the Spirit? Why do I pray in tongues? Because I need His help. I, need the, I love His assurance and I need it. I pray in the Spirit because it gives me assurance. I pray in the Spirit because it gives me assistance. 
1 Corinthians 14, 14 says that when we pray in the Spirit, when we speak in tongues, our minds are not fruitful. That doesn't mean that we're zombies. That means that the words are not being formed and articulated as a result of our consciousness. We are not thinking of the words ourselves. That doesn't mean that our minds check out. I strongly encourage you to engage your thoughts. Let the Holy Spirit inflame and anoint your thought life. Give yourself to holy affection and cognition as you pray in the Spirit. The first time, when I remember my initial time, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the first time the Spirit came into my life and I began to pray in tongues, my mind was flooded with the faces of my friends in fourth grade. And I knew. I didn't understand a word I was saying, but I knew I was praying for them. And to this day, as I pray in the Spirit, I don't just check out mentally. I think, I think about you. I think about you. I think about you. I see your face. Stephen, yours was a face that I saw in fourth grade. Did I ever tell you that? Campfire, fourth grade. Saw your face, praying in tongues. And there you are. <laughs> I've, interceded for your, I've interceded for this house. I've seen Paul. I've seen my, my team. I've seen my wife and my kids. I think about my parents. I think about family. Today we are praying, you know, thinking about Jesus, singing Jesus over our family. I pray in the spirit and I think about the classes and I think about speaking and I think, and oftentimes as that happens, I'll begin to, to get impressions of directions I should go, things I should say, decisions I should make. The Holy Spirit's helping me. You know, it's just testimony, so just deal with it as you like. Have you ever, have you ever seen the, the images of the, or the, of the campus of Oral Roberts University? From the 70s forward in particular, seven, the buildings from the 70s and the 80s? They don't look like anything else in the world. The architecture doesn't look like anything. It looks, they, they say it, looks, it could be the city of tomorrow. It just, it, there's, there's, the architecture is totally unique. The windows, the, the arches, the way the buildings are shaped, everything's weird. Not weird, but like beautiful and different. But it doesn't look like anything else. But it doesn't look bad. It's all functional. Do you want another testimony behind that? Here it is. Old Robert said, I prayed in tongues, and I listened for what the Holy Spirit told me. And it was his own private time of praying in the Spirit and responding to what he was hearing and feeling. And he laid out those plans, praying in tongues. That's his testimony. Praying in the Spirit is personal. And it's practical. It helps me. I pray in the Spirit because it gives me assurance. I pray in the Spirit because it gives me assistance. Told you that'd be shorter. Look at that. Like less than seven or eight minutes for that one. Okay? I pray in the Spirit because of obedience. Obedience, yeah. Go to the book of Ephesians. Have we already, uh, maybe you don't have to agree, but have I, have I made a reasonable case that when Paul says pray in the Spirit, that he doesn't mean just just praying regular, that he's probably referring to praying in tongues. Okay, seven, if you think so, I think so, but I think that you can make the case pretty reasonably because he says, I will pray in the Spirit or in my understanding, <laughs> okay? So if that's the case, then what do you do with verse 618 of Ephesians? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is a direct imperative. 
that as believers, this is part of the, this is about, this is that end of Ephesians. This is that warfare part. Everybody likes the armor of God and fighting and sword fighting demons and stuff, right? Everybody loves that part. You know how you fight, pray in the spirit. As a, as a, as a, as a way of advancement of the kingdom, pray in the spirit all the time. All the time. Why do I pray in tongues? It gives me assurance. It gives me assistance. And it's, I, it's obedience. I do it because the Bible says to. Also, go back to, to, uh, back to 1 Corinthians 14. I've got to go quick here. 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone, verse 14, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, thank God. Indeed, no one understands him. They have mysteries. One who prophesies speaks to people for their, for their strengthening, and, uh, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Ooh, we'll come back to that. The one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, here's the NIV. <laughs> verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine, but it's not fine. That word is phalo, and that means I will. It means I prefer. It's the same word that Jesus used when he told the leper, I want you well. He didn't say to the leper, I'd like it if you were well, but, you know, it's up to you. It was an expression of his preferred will. It's a strong expression. Thalo is a strong preference. It's, you can't make verse 5 a direct command. Because it's not. He was, that's not his, his point. What he does say is, I do want every single one of you to pray in tongues. That, then people say, hey, wait a minute. Time out now. Yeah, what about, what, what about, what about, what about when Paul says, well, are all, do, all, are all, do all do this and do all do that and do all do the other thing and do all speak in tongues? And, it's, and it's supposed to, we're supposed to say, well, no, because it's all rhetorical and all that. Time out. Stop just a minute. Remember, Paul is talking to the church gathered in worship and ministry, and he's specifically saying that his whole point is, when you're all ministering, you all have different functions. You're not all prophesying to each other at once, and you certainly aren't all speaking in tongues at once to each other. That's ridiculous. He's talking, he, the whole point is there to be diverse. So don't use that. Don't use that and say, do all speak in tongues? That means I don't have to, or I, you know, not only some people do, because there's no other Bible for only some people do. It starts off with all filled, all spoke. And every time in the book of Acts, when, when that happens, it's always all. In the book of Acts, it's always all. No one's left out. No one's junior varsity. No one's excluded. It's always all. Peter, Bob, same. Okay? And so Paul, in Ephesians 6 and 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he indicates that it's, it's a desire. It's a command in Ephesians and a strong desire in Corinthians to the Corinthian church that all of us will do this. So for me, it's assurance, assistance, and obedience. Lastly, look how fast that one was. That was literally four minutes. Last one is, I pray in the Spirit because of edification. Would you say that out loud with me? 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Here it is again. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. What does edify mean? Build up, strengthen, comfort. It, it, it's this, it's the, the word is like an edifice. An edifice is something that is being big, 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 tall thing. Okay? It means to, to make big, strong thing. <laughs> I don't know how else to tell you that. Paul doesn't 
And then you say, oh, and someone even asked me this week in a, in a Bible study, they say, oh, well, how does that work? What, what's happening? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I don't know. Paul doesn't tell us how. He just tells us what. He doesn't say how the Holy Spirit is doing things. I mean, he, there's the, he, he, he says that, that where the prophecy, uh, you know, strengthens, encourages, and comforts. So I can say probably that's happening. I'm being strengthened. I'm being comforted. I'm being encouraged. Okay, I can take that. All I know is that, as, that Paul says that as I pray in the Spirit, something is happening in my spirit life. It doesn't make me more loved by God. I'm just as loved. But, it's, but somehow, when I pray in the Spirit, I'm better. Not better than you, just better than I used to be. It strengthens me. My friend, my, my friend Saki in, in, uh, uh, from Ghana, uh, he says, he, his, his, the, the phrase that he and I kind of celebrate together, he says, only an edified man can edify others. So we pray in tongues if we want to do anybody else any good. If I, want to, if I want to edify you, build you up, strengthen you, strengthen you, I've got to be built up myself. So we pray in tongues. When I drive and I'm about to talk for three hours, <laughs> you might think, you mean tonight? No. Uh, uh, when I'm, I'm going I'm to teach my students, I'm going to spend three hours in the classroom with students. I spend, the, I spend the whole hour driving down praying in the Spirit, thinking about my students. And I will tell you 100% of the time, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what, if I'm wiped out or whatever, or the traffic's been a disaster, when, I'm, when I step up and I'm ready to begin engaging the students, I... I thank God, the assurance of the Spirit, there He is, helping me, equipping me, stirring me, uh, uh, enabling there to be a life-giving encounter in those moments. The only thing I wish I could say is that I think, Lord, the only thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I want to be more for people. I want to have more to offer people. And so my only my only recourse is to, like I, is, 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 to, is to give myself to the book and to pray in the Spirit. Jude 20, the Apostle Jude says, to build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. There's something that's building about it. There's something strengthening about it. I do it because it edifies. Assurance, assistance, obedience, and edification. The very last thing I'll say is this, and I mean this. Get excited. The very last thing I'll say, although it's only been about 95 minutes, is 1 Corinthians 14, 18 is the, is the, is the little cherry on this Sunday here. The Apostle Paul is talking to them. He's been talking to them about praying in tongues and prophesying, etc. Then he says this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, was Paul just flexing for him a bit? No. Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the, he's talking to the crazy glossolaliacs. He's talking to the people that apparently were really, really liked speaking in tongues. And yet, what does he say to them? He doesn't just say, hey, I speak in tongues more than you, right? That would be different. What does he say? I thank God that I do. Paul specifically, and this is very, 
it'd be, it's not a big deal for you and me. This probably doesn't even strike you as weird because nowadays people would post that on social media. But Paul is, from a, Paul is from a generation of people that to disclose something personal is very, very, very um, uncomfortable. You do not differentiate yourself from the community. You don't expose yourself even in a, in a public way. Ben Witherington III, he wrote a book called The Paul Quest, and he came to a conclusion and, and aggravated a lot of people. They said, Paul talks so openly the, or, or to, to the degree that Paul talked openly about the, his charisms, the, the expressions of the Spirit in his life, indicates that it, it was probably far more excessive than we could measure. So it was a significant part of his life, if he was willing to even talk about it that much. Ben Witherington III, Paul Quest. So Paul, here's the thing. I'm closing on this thought. Paul prayed in tongues a lot. And he was so aware of the effect it had in his life that he gave himself to it consistently a lot. And he was so aware of its benefit, he was full of, he gave thanks to God. God, I am so thankful for the effect that this expression has in my life. I'm so thankful for it, I'm going to do it a lot. Thank you, Lord. See, what a great, that's a great attitude to leave it on. There's not, he's not chest thumping, not comparing, not bragging, not elevating himself. He's just, he's just recognizing that there was, you see me closing everything and you're clapping. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, good, he's done. Uh, uh, he's so, he, is, he recognizes the value that it has in his life and he's thankful to God and he gives himself to it to a significant degree. I believe that praying in tongues, our prayer language, is a significant part of our spirit-filled life because of assurance. Thank you. Because of assurance, because of assistance, because of obedience, because of edification. And because ultimately I want to know and experience what Paul knew and experienced. He caught the taste and the whiff of something wonderful. I want to, I want to know it like he did. I don't want to miss. I don't want to forfeit. I don't want to. I just want more. Is there anybody here tonight that even after just talking tonight, you just want more? I told you my ambition was to persuade you that if you exercised a prayer language, that you would just do it more. And to persuade you that if you didn't, anybody can and should. Okay. So can we stand together?